Uh, good morning. It's such a great morning so far. So glad you're here. Well, it's my privilege to introduce some family this morning. We don't call them special guests because they are special, but they're not guests. But these two are my favorite people in the world. We, me and Des had the privilege of ministering at their church back, I think it was in November. And they have a special place there. What they developed, it was a little scary. The first service I got there and through worship and just had such a sense that anything was possible in that building. And honestly, it scared me a little bit because that means I have to be responsible to go after anything. But that's what they've created there. And they are just some of the most special people to us. They are amazing friends. And their heart, they're the most authentic people I think I know. So thank you guys so much for what you've done in the kingdom, but who you are as people. So will you guys please welcome Nancy and Shannon Schreier. Oh, man. Good morning. Yeah. That's a little scary right there to live up to all that. Let me Shannon tell you. goes, man, he's got to meet some more people. Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't get out much. Oh, my. Yeah. You got to get out more. So, yeah. Uh, we, we feel exactly the same when we're here, honestly, because of what you guys have cultivated for a number of years that has just been stunning to us. Much of who we are, honestly, that created that environment came from this house. Because you guys opened the way for us and led the way and provided a template, if you will, through what you do and through decisions that define us and a lot of those things that just absolutely, you know, it, it marked us for life, honestly. We were, we were never the same once we understood. We were on a journey, but we didn't know how to get there, and we needed people who had led the way. Sometimes when you don't know, you know, it's, you, can, you can get there through a lot of, you know, I don't have to go repeat everybody else's mistakes is what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's just easier if you, if you can see. Like when we got connected with this tribe, it was like a clarion bell that rang that says, this is our tribal rhythm. And we, we hooked onto it and became you. So, yeah, you're like, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Nance, go ahead and tell us some stuff. I didn't know I was coming up to tell stuff until <laughs> he grabbed me and said, come on. And I was like, I'm what? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Totally true. Totally true. Yeah. We can't, it probably feels redundant to you because every time we're around you, we're like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but we mean it. And honestly, not just not, you know, one of the things I love about this house is your fun, <laughs> you know? Because religious, dodgy people are just no fun. And it's exhausting. I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I know how to keep up with that. But it's exhausting. I mean, you just go home and rip off the pantyhose and go, thank God. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. You know what I mean? It's just, maybe none of y'all ever grew up in the Bible Belt. But it's, they're sweet people, but it's exhausting. So I love, I love the fun of this house and the ability just to laugh at each other 
that's good, and ourselves. And so we were talking about that yesterday, but um, yeah, you guys mean a lot to us. Yeah. And we're so glad. See, we didn't really get to connect with you guys for quite a, a while. long time. So we're so glad to, that oh, we've man. kind of pushed our way into your bubble. And it's like, a, it's like a Labrador, right? We just kind of push in there and go, love us. And we just stay there till you, till you finally give in and go, okay, all right, yes, we love you. Okay. So anyway, yeah. But you know, I, well, during worship today, I was just thinking, um, I don't have really anything profound to say to you that you don't already know because look who your pastors are. So, um, but I was thinking today, I felt the Lord moving this house into a, a new place of authority. And authority, as you probably already know, authority doesn't come by just head knowledge or definitely doesn't come by works, but it comes through intimacy. And so I felt the Lord just really, I, I know that's already a pursuit of yours. Yeah. I know I'm not telling you anything new. I just felt like I saw the Lord bringing you into even deeper places of intimacy. And because of that, as a result of that, the fruitfulness of that would be a greater authority. And it's not a pompous authority. It's just an authority of, I know who I am. It's because of him, of course, but I know who I am. Yeah. You know, authority doesn't have to be loud. When you see a, when you see a parent who yells at their kids all the time, it's not because they're authoritative. It's because they don't have any authority. Right? Let's be honest. But you see the parent who glances at their child's eye and the kid goes. You're like, okay, that parent has some authority. They don't need to be mean. Or fear, one or the other. Well, yeah. <laughs> Cut back. Whatever works. In you know. Yeah. Way to run my analogy, baby. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So there, there you, you go. go. Thanks. So. Look at him dig himself out of the hole. Yeah, okay. Good save. I'll, I'll pay you when we get home. So, um, with your money. <laughs> anyway, that's what I saw. So, I think it's, it's, it's sweet because it's not, it's not just a matter of... It's what Dave was saying. Like, when you, when you actually have authority and you tell things to go, they go. Yeah. It's not just a matter of, of stomping around and quoting all the little catchphrases you've heard at church. It's a matter of actually saying, no, 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 I have the authority here and you will get out. Yeah. Yeah. You will bow. Yeah. You will, you know, this disease will bow. This demon will leave. Peace will come. Like when I walk in the room, I set the atmosphere. I'm not being arrogant. I'm saying for all of us, when I walk in the room, you know, I set the atmosphere because I am the one that carries authority in this room. Yeah. So there will be peace in this room. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I saw. I just saw the Lord bringing you even more. I know that's your journey. Yeah. I know that's your quest. I already know that because I know this house. But even more, God is, is saying, come in closer, come in deeper. And he's granting his beloved his authority. That's really good. So, yeah, bless yeah. you guys. We love you. Yeah. Hey, for you, Lo. Um, yeah, that's really good. My wife is a new author. And um, I wanted her to take just one second and talk about what this is a book that she's been working on for quite a while. It came out of a, just a real wonderful time of just teaching and releasing the kingdom to a bunch of our ladies at our church that were just absolutely needing to know their identity. And it's called Dating God and Other Bad Ideas. But uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that, baby. It's really wonderful. So. That's my daughter on the front. Yeah, yeah that's one of my girls. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of just what we talked about. 
Because being a girlfriend or a side gig is a whole lot different than being the bride. And you're really not who you're supposed to be in the kingdom until you're the bride. But I, I learned, this came out of a thing, a series of, honestly, of counseling meetings with all different women in this case. Um, but it's not just limited to yeah. women. Of course, yeah. we've had the same conversations with men. Where they, they just had, they were taking their ideas off of their human relationships that were usually, honestly, to varying degrees, quite dysfunctional. And putting them on God. So they weren't understanding what health looked like. And they weren't understanding, honestly, what being the bride looked like. What being in covenant looked like. What being intimate looked like. What being unconditionally loved looked like. So um, that's what that came out of. And it just, the reason I called it dating God and other bad ideas was because, you know, people just have all these ideas like, well, me and God, you know. So, So a lot of people want to date God, but they don't want to get married. That's too much. Take me out. Treat me nice. But I don't really want to marry you. It's a bad idea. So it just goes through a series of like, these are some ideas and some lies that people believe about their relationship with God, what it is or what it should be. And it just addresses the lies and then addresses truth. And then calls us into that kind of intimacy that actually gives us the authority of a bride. Yeah. You know, no one else in this world has access to him the way I do. And he's a pastor, so that's saying a lot. Because <laughs> pastors are very accessible. But no one else has that. No, no other woman has his name as his bride. No other woman is on his bank account. You need that book? You can have it. I'm going to read a couple of oh, titles. He's reading. Chapters. Hold Sorry. on a second. Hold Stay on. right there. You can have don't, it. Don't run away. Here's, <laughs> here's what I will say. Here's a couple of the, the title chapters. Uh, because she builds it on like when you first get to know God, like in a real relationship, the blind date, dating around, going steady, the engagement. And then here's some perversions of the relationship, a sugar daddy or a trophy wife. I'm a little blunt. Sorry. How about this one? God is a prostitute. A lot of us treat him that way. Throw a little money on the table. Tell him what you want. The double oh, sorry, life, no, no. the out-of-town affair, the fairy tale, and then we move into the marriage. The wedding, the honeymoon, access through covenant, a healthy marriage, safeguarding your marriage, divorce and reconciliation. It's, it's really a phenomenal book that's going to mess up a lot of people. I heard that we only have 11 copies, and honestly, because I'm going to give this sweet lady this one, we only have 10 yeah, left. 10 <laughs> so, um, but you can order it on Amazon.com. So there it, is. it also has a study guide. So if you want to do it yeah. in groups, you yeah. can do it in groups because there's a study guide at the end of each chapter. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. so it's good. Yeah. 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 I also brought a book that just came out of need more than anything else. We, we've been wrecked by the, the movement with Bill Johnson and Randy Clark and all those guys with healing. And we went into the nations. Um, my first trip with Randy in 2000, we saw 6,000 people healed in 10 days. That will mess you up. Like, you, you come back, like, you know, irreversibly, you know, stamped with, like, this is who God is in the kingdom. And so um, we started doing tons of stuff in Africa, and we needed our own manual and text. And so I wrote this one. It's called A Ministry of Healing. Um, and it's, uh, it's been a wonderful gift for a lot of people to be able to receive just, just real straightforward advice on, and systems on how to, to release healing in the nations and healing in your, 
your workplace. And it's got a lot of testimonies of what we've experienced. I've got three testimonies in here of um, resurrections from the dead that happened while I was working at a hospital in Ogden, Utah. And um, they were um, absolutely crazy, crazy moments. One of them, I'll tell you really quick, was a drive. I call it a drive-by resurrection because I... Sometimes you get caught up in stuff you don't even know why you, you're there or doing things. And you can, you can imagine just going through rope. Because one of my jobs as a chaplain, I got hired as a chaplain. They paid me to go pray for people. I couldn't believe it. And so, so I, I'm, in, I'm in the hospital praying in intensive care. And I go from bed to bed to bed. And, and most of the people there are intubated. They're not talking. Their families are not even there because I'm there at like 5.30 or 6 in the morning. But I just faithfully went in and prayed for people and went to the next, next bed. And so I'm just doing stuff. And, um, and then I leave. And um, a week later, because I only worked part-time, one of the charge nurses at the intensive care unit, I walked in the, a week later, and she's grabbing me by the shoulder. She says, where have you been? I said, why? Am I in trouble? <laughs> you know, and she said, no, do you remember this woman over in, room, in bed, like 503, I think is what it was, or something like that? I said, don't have a clue. <laughs> And she just been, began to describe it. And I says, yeah, I, I, I kind of remember her. I said, why? She said, you know what was wrong with her? I said, I have no idea. She said, well, when you went in, I saw you walk in her room and you prayed for her. And what was going on was she was brain dead. They had her scheduled for organ donation at 530 that afternoon. And she said, you went and prayed for her, and then you walked out of the intensive care unit. And as soon as you walked out of the doors, she sat up out of bed and pulled her intubation tube out. And she said, I'm hungry. Would someone feed me? Yeah. And so I'm saying sometimes stuff just happens, and you don't even know why. You know, you just... Just you know, faithful in the little things. I'm telling you, um, God is hearing your prayers. I will say this about resurrections. If you want to raise people from the dead, you have to be around dead people. It's, it's just... And so, like, if you're, if you're passionate about this stuff, because we've been praying, you know, the, the, the David Hogan stories of all these people being raised in Mexico, I, I, I grabbed a hold of that, and I said, we're going to see that. And so I just faithfully began to pray for people that were dead. And I was praying for people that, quite honestly, needed to go home. I mean, there were people who were old, old, old. And I said, Jesus, come on. And one of them was one of, you want this? You can have it. One of them, one of them was one of my best friends. He was like a father to me. He's 83 years old. And, and he's just a wonderful man. And he meant so much to me. I, I had to work um, a part-time sales job and selling cars during that season as well. And every time I worked... He would come and bring me coffee in the morning at at 82 and just wanted to see how my day was going. I loved him with everything in me. And then I heard the news one morning that he had passed. And I was so incredibly grieved. And his son called me and I went over to the house. And there he is laying in bed. And he had a smile on his face in bed, dead. But I'm I'm here and I'm saying, Jesus, do I please have permission to... to, That's my friend. I want want desperately for him to be back with me. and I said, Jesus, can I, can I go after resurrection with him? And I didn't hear his voice, or the, the Lord's voice. I heard my friend's voice. And my friend, in, in just, just like clarity, he says, now why would you want to do that, you big dummy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much so. But what we did learn is that if you're going to see dead people raised, you'll have to step past your own constraints of fear and anxiety. Oh man, I remember what it was like when I was walking into that first hospital room and I'd heard the word of the Lord 
before I ever got there, this is about an infant baby. You need to go now and pray for this child because I was on call, so it was my job to be there. But I walked in and it is chaos everywhere. There's so many people working to try to resurrect this child. The child's been down for an hour and 30 minutes with no respiration, no heartbeat. And I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And I went to the nurse's station and she said, it's about an infant baby in trauma room one. And, um, oh man, fear is rising up in me. And um, here's what happened. Jesus is so good. I just grabbed a hold of the curtain that they had at the front of the door and I opened it up and I said, in Jesus' name, as I pulled it up. And as soon as I opened up the curtain, the baby began to scream. And, uh, and so God is, God is really, really good. So, yeah, there's tons of stories in there. You can get that at the table if you'd like. But uh, I am so, so grateful to be here. This is one of our favorite places in the planet. And you guys are, uh, you know, it's like a mutual admiration club, honestly. And I... You know, it, it sounds probably silly to you guys, but you just, when you get people in your life that are like these folks, it's such a deep, deep treasure because you um, know that you have people who have been where you're going and, and they have encounters and experiences and, oh man, it's just been really, really rich, but um, it's just the truth. There's not a bit of hyperbole at all in my statements about you guys. We just love you. And so um, I've got a message today. Um, how many people have been here that, in this house that have had prophetic words or destinies that have been spoken over your life and it's been a long time coming but you still haven't walked into what was prophesied but you still believe 100% that it was God? Would you raise your hand for a minute? Yeah, I mean you just know that it was. And I, I want to bring um, just a real quick word of encouragement on that before I move into what I think God's spoken. But Because there are a lot of times where the fulfillment of a word is wrapped around the, the faithfulness of stewarding the word and not letting go of it. And, you know, the Galatians 6 1 prop declaration that, you know, don't grow weary in doing well. For the proper, everybody say proper. <laughs> At a proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't do what? If you don't faint or if you don't give up. And I think that's a really big deal. Um, Part of the reason that I'm standing before you today is because this man recognized something that had been spoken into us 20 years prior, and he released a word that opened up the fulfillment of a prophetic declaration. Do you get that? And so the, the word that was spoken, we, we had it spoken over us for, for um, goodness, just for like six months everywhere we went. Um, Bobby Connor had a... a Young, not a young prophet. She's a, a woman whose husband had passed, but she was a, a prophetess. Um, Chrysal, Jean Chrysal was her name. We were down in, in Brazil with Randy, and Randy said, if, if you'll wait around, Jean wants to prophesy over all the pastors, senior pastors that are here. So I got in front of her. Here was the word. As David, so as David was hidden in the caves of Adullam, so God has hidden you and others like you for a appointed time and an appointed season. And so wait, basically. A few weeks later, we're in Vegas, and Chuck Pierce says, Like David, hidden in the caves of Adullam, so God... And I'm thinking, this is not a good word. It's not a good word. Like David, hidden in the caves of Adullam, so God has hidden you and others like you. We get in front of Jill Austin up at Park City. Like David, hidden in the caves of Adullam. I'm saying, okay, I've got it. And the reason that I needed it repeated over and over again, because it was a word that I was not going to be patient to wait out. 
And there are certain things that can happen in a person's life that can only happen through the waiting. There are certain things that need to be developed in the heart of a person that they're not ready to be able to be released into that season. Or the season isn't right. God works in times and seasons. And some of the things that you need to walk in are you're not ready for or the world is not ready for. Some of you carry a forerunning spirit that it's just not time for you to be able to release what it is that God's placed in your heart. And we feel like a few years ago, I was standing and Dave looks over me and says, yep, God is uncovering you. And setting you out so that people can see you. And that's exactly what happened. And... He didn't know it when he said it, but it was immediately tied me back to a word and a declaration that said, because when you've had things prophesied over you and you don't even know how to walk it out or live it out, it's just like confusing. <laughs> Until it's not. The problem is don't lose hope in the middle of the when it's not. And that's the encouragement to you. One of the things I believe with everything in me that God has set me in part for right now is an awakening of the bride of Christ into the fullness of everything that he's created us to be. We in the body of Christ need awakened so that we can become this glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. And it's not this call to religiosity. It's not a call to working harder. It's not a call to, to, to like furrowing your brow and, and becoming the owner of the new pharisaical card that gets you part of it. You know what I'm saying. We're not, we're not called to go back to the land of being Pharisees so that we can look like something that we're really not. It's a call to really be authentic in who we are so that people can see that we, we are really, really confused and messed up sometimes, but we're his. And we have the capacity then To become better because he has called us to be better. And we recognize the call. And so I really do feel like my mandate. At least in this season. It's shifted along the way. But in this season it's to to awaken the church. And to call us back into the centrality of our purpose. Which is to be a people who know him. I mean know him. And so would you. Just stand with me for a minute as we pray for what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you for this time. I thank you for such a great, gracious group of people who are here. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move. I pray that your presence would come. We release the angels of the living God to move in and about this service to do the bidding and the working of the Lord. Those that would bring Messages of hope and encouragement. Those that are going to be handing out like scrolls and assignments. And those that are coming to just swallow up pain and grief for some of us. Those that would just slather us with the oil of joy and gladness. But we release your ministering spirits of fire. To do your bidding and to help us. And So Holy Spirit come. Help me. Bless this time in Jesus. Incredible name. Yeah. So, um, a couple weeks ago, I was praying. You can be seated. Thank you. A couple weeks ago, I was praying about this service because, like, I, yeah, it's still a big deal for me to be in places like this, honestly, and I don't want to screw things up. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 
when you receive an assignment, you want to be faithful with what's given in your hands. I don't want to just show up and just ramble. I want to come with something. And so I've been praying, asking God. I was telling Nancy, I said, I don't know what I'm preaching. I do not know what I'm preaching. And so um, God doesn't seem to care that I get anxious about that at all. But I had a a dream with just a, a single word, and I'll get to it in a moment. And I knew the moment that I woke up what I was supposed to preach. And so I'd like, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7. It's the story, honestly, of, of tragedy and not, not incredible triumph. But it's the story of David when he falls into sin with Bathsheba. He said, yay. Yay. Great, great text for Sunday morning. It is. And we'll, we'll discover it in a moment why. But this is when Nathan the prophet calls David into relationship of accountability and begins to speak to him about what he believes about the situation. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said to him, There, are, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan says to David in verse 7, first part, he says, And then Nathan said to David, David, you are that man. Whew. I want to rewind just a bit to 2 Samuel 2, 4, just the first part of it. It says, And a traveler came to the rich man. And today's message is on the traveler. The traveler who comes... Honestly, not just to David, but to knock on every heart's door to try to get us out of our purpose and to try to get us out of our destiny. And the traveler comes and knocks. And here's the interesting thing that I know about the traveler. When the traveler comes, we think that it's just another person who's come to visit, but the traveler comes with the intention to try to take everything that we own and everything that we have. And one thing I found out in my life, when the traveler comes inside of the life of a believer... You can be assured when he comes in. It's not a problem when the traveler's knocking on the door. But when the traveler comes in, you can be assured that a lamb is going to die. And, and even when we talk about what the traveler does, because the, ta- the traveler is, is, is significant of, of just the, the, the imagery of just temptation that comes to every person. And every person on the planet... Jesus, it describes it of him, it says Jesus was tempted in everywhere, like, just like you and I, but yet without sin. And yet there is this 
purpose from the hell that tries to ravage the life of believers. Here's the description of, 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 of hell. Hell wants to mar the very image of God that's been created inside of you. Wants to do anything he can to try to pull you away from the purposes of God, the place of God, the plan of God, your destiny in God. And the key way is to try to drag you into a place where just ugly things can happen. Our, our culture is really good at being very, very passive and honestly pushing away our responsibility of ownership in many respects. And so, like, as in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, you know, a lot of people were, were saying, well, you know, I, it's not my fault. I'm, I was tempted, you know. I, for those that are old enough like me, you can take it and roll back the script to this show called Laughing, where Flip Wilson used to come out and say, the devil made me do it. You know, that was the big famous line. And that was the, the cultural kind of nuance of everything that everybody wanted to know. Like, no, I'm not responsible. I, I got tricked. I got pulled into this thing. The devil, he's just out there doing his thing. And James just settles the issue. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor, is he, nor does he tempt anyone. But listen to this. But each person, say each person, they're tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's out of the NIV. I love Eugene Peterson, the way he puts it in the message. He says, don't let anyone under, pre- under pressure to, to give, give in to the devil. And say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil. And he puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. And sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. And so the traveler has come, and he knocks on the heart's door. You say, well, that, was, that, was, you know, that just happened. No, this is, this is happening every single day in the life of church people everywhere. And the question is, is are you going to reject? You know, because the temptation is not your problem. We live in a world that's full of it. The problem is like, because temptation is, is, is the, the enemy or that thing that wants to pull you away from your purpose looking through the peephole of your door. Our problem is when we look back and we say, oh, come on in. Just come on in. It's honestly the problem that David had. In the previous chapter, it says of David, at the time when kings went out to war, David was home alone. It, It really is like it's not good for man to be alone. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be managing our thoughts and our impulses and everything that's out there. But when he was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing and wasn't doing what was called to do, it brought him into a place where a lot of things can happen. And wouldn't you know it, he looks down off the porch of his palace and sees a beautiful young woman named Bathsheba bathing. And a look turned into lust And lust turned into a lifetime of regret. And from that moment forward, we see the progression of a lot of poor decisions that David makes. 
not even necessarily because he didn't have the ability to be reconciled back to God through forgiveness, but because he couldn't release himself from the shame and guilt. And so the decisions that he began to make, even with Absalom and all of the people in his, in his ability, in his kingdom to rule and to reign, were driven by his lack of confidence because of the failure that he'd walked through. And so here we are in 2023 saying, I don't know about all that. We live in such a grace-filled culture where we've moved through the cross of Jesus Christ and grace is abundant, grace abounds, and it's wonderful. But I'm fearful in our culture that we've almost pulled ourselves right back into the first century fallacy of the Gnostics with Gnosticism who did this. They divided out body, soul, and spirit, which is real. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. But they defined their theological worldview to say that the body is going to do what the body always does, and that's sin. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's going, to, you know, it's going to do what it does. How many times do we see Christians who run off and do what they want to do because the body is just going to satisfy its own natural lust and its own natural desires, but we have a real big God and a real good God, and we come crying in and throw ourselves down. Grace and mercy covers me, and we say, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned against you and only. That's what David said. Against you and you only have sinned. And we walk through this thing called grace, and we make grace ineffective in its inability to keep us saved rather than needing to always come back for the place of being, you know, wallowing through the problem of reconciling ourselves. Does that make sense to you? And we allow ourselves to not just be tempted by the traveler, but to welcome the traveler in. And every time we welcome the traveler in, a part of our soul, our mind dies, and a lamb, the lamb, takes a further seat away from us. We push him out because of our own iniquity. And God is saying, I want the church to be the church full of power and full of life. And the reason he does is because there is a world longing for us to get this right. Follow me as I follow Christ. You can count on me. You can look at me as an example of who Jesus is because Jesus lives in me. And I'm not saying that we're like impervious to ever failing. I'm just saying we, could, we, we need to be more aware of what Holy Spirit speaks to us because every place of temptation, there's always a way out. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can stand up or what you can bear. He will always, everybody say always, always provide a way of escape and a way out. Now let me meddle just a little bit more, if you will. Not because I like meddling, but because I really sense that this is what the Lord is is asking the church to deal with. George Barna and Christianity Today, they've all done the search, and I think it's honestly probably low in the estimation of what's going on, but 33 to 35% of pastors in America are bound by pornography. Pastors and leaders. 60% of the people in this house will have problems inside of their own family. 80% of them, y'all, have had it touch your family. Because a traveler came and knocked on a door, threw out bait, and with one click, a look became lust. And lust can become a lifetime of regret. Because I promise you, That the traveler isn't content just to to distract you. He wants to hold you in captivity. And he wants to bind you with a hook that will pull you into a vortex 
where you don't know how to get loose and don't know how to get free. And so it's here. It's everywhere. And the Lord is saying, come on. I died for you to have freedom. I died for you to walk in new life. I died for you not to have anything that would bind you or hold you up or trip you up. And so let's not fall into the place like those in the first century that say, oh, it's just, it's just one of those things. We'll just have to live with it. And God loves me and he'll forgive me. A lamb is dying. And it will keep us from being able to have the ability to walk in authority and to walk in power. This isn't a message to beat people up. This is a message to bring hope for reconciliation. Listen to this, because after, after David goes through his big failure, we see him recording in Psalm 51 his response to you know, owning his problem. He, he owned it. He, he just, this is why David can go through everything he went and still be called a man after God's own heart. Because we're not, we're fragile and we will fail. The issue and the difference for us is will we fail forward? <laughs> will we fail into the arms and grace of Jesus or will we keep doing our own thing? Ver, verse 1 and following Psalm 51 out of the the, the passion, it says, God, give me the mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt. I know it is. Because your compassion is so great, take away the shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my what? My conscience. This is what the enemy wants to do, is stain your conscience so much that you feel like you are incapable of being able to serve God. We have, here, here's the deal. The church in America, and around the nations, honestly, it's just not here, it's done a wonderful job of creating disciples through the, through the nature of getting them in through the doors and having them pray a prayer and actually having Jesus move into the house. What we've done a terrible job at is actually seeing them delivered and healed. I'm, I'm talking not here necessarily. I'm just talking collectively the body of Christ. I remember talking with a, a, a wonderful saint who had been through some of the early uh, seasons of revival. She, she was in Galena, Kansas of all places where there was a huge outpouring. William Parham back in those days in Topeka and it was the Azusa Street outpouring and all that. I'm visiting with this lady who's, who's in her 90s at this time and she's telling me about Azusa Street and about what happened in their little community in Kansas. And I said, tell me what was so special. She says, oh, how we prayed. I said, tell me what that means. What did that look like? She said, well, she said, I don't see it a lot anymore. But when people came to the altar, they gave their lives to Jesus. And then we prayed them through. You ever hear that terminology? I said, well, what does that mean? Prayed them through. She said, well, we weren't content just to see that Jesus came into the house. We wanted to make sure that everything that wasn't Jesus was evicted from the house. And so because of that, they would pray with them. And they would do deliverance ministry prayers. They didn't even know what they were calling it back then. They just were praying for people to be clean inside and out. And they just stayed with him until stuff bubbled up. And when stuff bubbled up, they talked and walked through it and bound it and said, you got to leave. And, 
And it's this whole principle that we've been pushing into collectively as the body of Christ of, of sozo, that we're saved, healed, and delivered. And the deliverance problem in churches in America is why we have such a weak and inept body of believers. Because we're saved, but we're still wallowing in sin and shame, the, 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 the burden of, of our past. And we don't know how to step out because we don't consider ourselves to be worthy to step into what God has called us because the enemy is still right there with a hook keeping us immobilized sometimes in the same actions that we were guilty of to begin with. And so we cry out to Jesus repeatedly that his mercy and grace would come, and he does. But we never get set free because we never allow the real prince of peace to come in and cleanse the whole house. And Jesus is moving right now to make sure that we get to be everything that we were supposed to be. The issue of pornography is just one of many that we could get in trouble with or hooked up by. Sometimes it's the pride of life. Sometimes it's success. Sometimes it's rage and anger. Anything out there that, that can grab a hold of the heart of a human is going to be trying to grab a hold of you. And it's going to be knocking. The traveler comes with the intention of coming in. And so it's not an issue of the traveler coming. It's an issue of what do you do when you hear his knock on the door? As opposed to what you'll do when you hear the knock of the Savior. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he says, I'll come into him. And he with me. And we're going to have fellowship together. Perfect fellowship with the Father. And perfect fellowship with the Son, Jesus, is what evicts every single other thing in our life. When we invite him in fully... And so, here we are. God is wanting to make us, we sing a lot of great songs. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your voice. You got a lion inside of those lungs. It's a great, great encounter that can't come unless you have a clean heart and pure hands. We're wishfully thinking for God to empower us into something that we are incapable of without a pure heart. So we'll shout, but the shout has no authority and no power. Because we haven't yielded ourselves. A, a, a long time ago, a youth pastor convention, one of my friends was being used hugely in preaching youth conferences. And there was a little girl that began to manifest a demon down in the front. This is going to be a little bit graphic. Hold on. It's all right. But there's a little girl manifesting a demon. Of course, all the kids, you know, youth, they gathered around her and they're screaming to the top of their lungs and cursing and rebuking and shouting and binding this thing. And there's a, a, one of the denominational leaders who was in the back. And he said, I've got this. Here I come to save the day. Literally, he's parting the kids, moving through with bravado and arrogance. And he begins to adjure, like, in the name of Jesus, I adjure you. And this little girl whips around and she's, who do you think you are? You have no authority here, you masturbator. (laughs) 
Whew. And so religiosity won't cut, cut the cake. It won't work, but Jesus will. And so I, I'm, I'm just... Honestly, if you'll just stand for a few moments, I really feel like this is a significant moment for some of you all because you're tired. You're tired of knowing that you were called for more but still being bound because you haven't really released some of the things that have really gripped your heart, gripped your mind, gripped your emotions, and you haven't let go of what it is that God's saying to let go of so that you can have everything that your heart ever dreamed for. I can promise you one thing. Jesus is not here to beat a single person up. Jesus is here to actually lift the yoke of the enemy's abuse of you because you've been abused by the voice of the enemy. And he's here to break the, the, the noise. There's a lot of noise that goes on inside of your head and it's just like all the time. And some of it looks like shame and some of it looks like anxiety and fear and depression. And Jesus is here to break all the noise. So that the only voice you hear today will be the voice of the Father and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Every other voice will have to be subjugated to the voice of the Father who brings peace and love and mercy. And the Lord today is going to impose a supernatural grace of his righteousness upon you. So that you can know that the kind of righteousness he gives and the kind of grace that he gives out of Titus is not a grace that allows you to keep sin. In, in, in Romans 6, 1, it says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never, ever, ever be. So we don't just keep crawling back to the, to the altar of grace, but we actually have grace wrapped around us as a garment that keeps us in God and pure and holy and life-giving. It's just what he's doing because there is, we're at the, the precipice of the greatest revival that the nations have ever seen and God needs his church right. We, and here's the deal. You can't live wrong and expect to end right. You can't. None of us can. And so, come on my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You got a lion inside of these lungs. Get up, get up, get up, and let's slam the door on the traveler. Once and for all. If, if, you, if you want to have him, if, and if, not even just even if you want him, if you need for him to do some work in your life where you're willing, just like, just like David, to lay some things down in front of him, this is the moment. And I'm not asking you to like do, it, do it like incognito. <laughs> I'm saying... If you want him, come and get him. Lay some things down and say, Jesus, I'm here to have my life transformed because I know how important it is. You're welcome to come right now. Come on. Just move out from where you're at and come get him. If you need him, come and get him. He's so good. He's so good. He's going to do amazing things. He's going to break things off and patterns off your life that you never thought you'd be free of because he's that good. Yeah, that's good. Yep. He's good. He's good. His mercy endures forever. And he's, he's cleansing the body of Christ and healing us. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right here and right now. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house. And that this house, you said it in, in your declaration on the wall. We are here to prepare world changers and to send people into the world to change the world. This is how it happens right here. Clean hands, clean heart, pure life. And so right now I pray, even as those who have come that the Holy Spirit would come in 
First of all, any place that you need to lay down and need to say, Jesus, forgive me, just do it right now, okay? Just say, Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I give you everything. But then right now I ask for the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ to come and break every chain that would bind you in the name of Christ. Every chain broken. Every traveler evicted. Yep. We, 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 declare, we declare and we give an eviction notice. The things that happened in your life came in through legal authority and legal access because you opened the door. But today we slam the door shut with the authority of Christ. We slam it shut in Jesus' name. And we give an eviction notice that everything that doesn't look like God has to go. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, we thank you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit do a new work and a new thing in Jesus' name. Right here, right now. Because you have called us to walk in righteousness and holiness and love and perfection. Oh, man. Oh, Yes, Lord, I thank you. Yeah, we break it. We break it. We break it. We break it in Jesus' name. We break it in Jesus' name. Yeah, we break it in Jesus' name right now. More. More of your presence. There he is. More. Show. More in Jesus' name. More. More. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Yep, he's so good. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the kiss of the Father on Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No, it's not much. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good, Jesus. So we bless you in Jesus' name.
several weeks ago, I had an, a very unusual night. Conversation with the Holy Spirit almost all night long, various times. Very unique for me. Um, and I had, he gave me answers to what he's doing, some of the things he's doing in this day and what's coming. And a lot of it uh, I've not been able to share. I've not felt that I should. Some I have shared a little bit. But one of the things he, he spoke to me about, I, I haven't shared intentionally because I don't want it to, I don't want it to make us go that way on, you know, figure a way to make it happen, right? We can do that. <laughs> but I feel like it's time to release that this morning. He said, one of the characteristics, one of the main characteristics of the last move of God was laughter. Laughter. It was wonderful. A lot of, a lot of the evangelical church had a hard time with it. Laughter. Why should we be laughing? Well, he's setting us free. <laughs> Rejoice, yeah. But he said the main characteristic of this move that God is bringing us into is tears. Tears. And it's not tears of sorrow, it's the tears of a man or a woman set free. That's what it is. It's his people finally getting free and we realize it. And the only response is to weep for joy. Years ago, we were in the other building and chaos was going on. It was wonderful, holy chaos. And a, a man just screamed out my son Jeremy was there and he came over and he said dad there's nothing like the sound of a man set free we're in for some freedom and our tears will be poured out on the altars first tears of repentance and then tears of joy This is a marked day. This is a marked day for us, for you and me to slam the door on the knock of the traveler that just wants to just wants to take us away, wants to remove the authority, wants to ruin our lives. But we say today, no. No, not today. Not today. Not tomorrow. Lock the door by the grace of God, powering grace of God. Hallelujah. 
let's sing this like a soul set free.
freedom that he set us free. It's not a momentary release from something. I love the breakthroughs that come at the altars, but I love the follow-through that happens when we walk out of this place and we begin to live the fullness of what God put in us. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. We say no more. We say no more. We say no more. No more. Not because we've had this momentary point, which we need. God has to come to that place, break through. But it's the follow through. As we go out and live in the grace that God had. Grace is an empowering source. It's not... It's not just this fluffy little thing. It empowers us to live as he's called us to live. And to be the people in the world, the world changers that we are called to be. So I want you, I want you to hear, listen to me really carefully here because we're changing just up a little bit. But I, I really need you to listen to me. We have been given a deposit today. Right? The word that was deposited in this house is a powerful word. We can't just simply say, oh, that was a good word. Right? We go out and live it. But we also invest in that word. You say, oh, here he comes. He's going to take an absolutely going to take an offering. I, I make no apology for it. Because a man and a woman have come and delivered a word. Yesterday, the women got this amazing word from this couple. Today. This word will set us on a new trajectory. And we need to invest in that word so that word becomes ours. So you invest in the message that God brings. You also invest in the messenger that comes. And I want us to blow these guys away with our generosity. I want them to know when they leave this house, this is what this house is about. We're generous people. Now I've had them move the war chest back there because I want to leave these, this all open for those who just want to stay and, and get ministered to. But uh, you can give online. You can give uh, in the giving stations, but there's also a war chest in the back there. You can just deposit as you leave this morning. Please be just absolutely generous to this couple. And would you just give them a, a thanks right now? Would just give them a hand clap of thanks? What a powerful, powerful day. Word. So let's not hesitate to invest in them today as you go. God bless you. If you want to stay around these altars and just be ministered to, the ministry team will stay down here for a while and just move among you and just allow God to do great works in you and go out and be the world changers God created you to be. And please go get your children. They may have already been brought in. I don't know. But please go get your children. Nancy and Shannon will be in the back to sign books. Go back there. Grab one of their books. I'd encourage you to do so.